Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We're talking about fighting face fight this morning. And there's a reason for that. So many people's lives are hanging in the balance right now. Many are fighting for their lives. I'm talking physically for their lives right now and are in need to hear the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free. I'm going to begin by just sharing with you, God's will in the very beginning was not for man to ever suffer death. God never wanted man to die. That was not his intended purpose for man in any way, shape, form, or fashion. We know that for a fact. As a matter of fact, if you want to know the will of God, I just kind of present it this way. Look at the bookends. There's two bookends. This one is the bookend of creation. This is the bookend of the new heavens and the new earth. In creation, no sin, sickness, no death whatsoever in the garden. None at all. In the end, new heaven, new earth, no sin, no sorrow, no sighing, no crying, no dying, no woes. None of that exists. So if you look at the will of God in that light, the two bookends, God's will as man has a wonderful life on this earth. And at the end, he's going to have a wonderful life on the earth. But there's something taking place in the middle of all that. It's what's between the bookends that's the problem. Right? Well, how do we get a revelation of what took place? Well, since you've asked, Romans 5 and verse 12 tells us what? By one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. Romans 5, 12. So how did death get into the world? There it is. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Someone opened up the door. Who was that someone? Anybody going to take it up with him when you get there? He opened up the door and it entered in. That tells me it was on the outside, not on the inside, right? So by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we're subject to all the evils of this age as a result. No wonder Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Because see, it wasn't being done in earth between those bookends. Now there's another way we can find the will of God. When Jesus walked on the earth, what did he say? I have come to do the will of my father. And while he walked on this earth, anywhere he went, he healed the sick that were therein. Every one of them that came to him was delivered, set free, and made whole. He cast out devils, even raised the dead. He provided for the needs of people. He did everything he possibly can to enforce the will of God being done in the earth. What does that show us? God's will is not being done on earth between the bookends. We've got to pray for it to be done in the earth. And it takes believing prayer, which means it takes faith on our part to see to it that it's done. You ready for it? So fight the good fight of faith. Why is it a fight if it's automatically done? Because it's not automatically done. That's why. It takes faith to enforce the will of God as we live our lives upon the earth. And we shouldn't be distracted from that. It's up to us to recognize the fact that it's not automatic. It takes faith to experience 
God's will. How many of you know that even though we're living in between the bookends, he still wants us to have long life? Psalm 91 verse 16 says what? With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. But there's a catch to it. What is that catch? He that sets his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he knows my name. When he calls upon me, I'll answer him. I'll be with him in trouble and deliver him. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. It begins at the very beginning of that same psalm. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. And so in other words, it's not automatically done. It takes us to enforce the will of God in our lives on the earth between the bookends. Now, faith is a fight. Fight means to put forth or exert ourselves in such a way so as to prevent the success of an enemy. There are enemies to faith. There are enemies to our lives. The devil, the world, and the flesh will come against us to enforce their will on us so that God's will is not accomplished or achieved. So that's why it's called a fight. You and I have got to rise up from within, take the word of God, and stand against whatever comes against us in this life by faith. Now, take the medical field. The medical field, they know that sickness and disease is an enemy. There's a fight against cancer, fight against heart disease, this fight against COVID. What are they doing? They're effortlessly at work trying to find some way, some means, somehow to overcome these particular diseases and sicknesses that attack us in this world. That's what they're doing. But it's sad to me to hear other believers that don't see it that way. There are some believers that say, well, you know, this is just God's will for my life. No, it's not. It's the devil's will for people's lives. God's will was health, wholeness, well-being, soundness of mind. God's will will be health, wholeness, well-being, and soundness of mind. The book ends. But in between all that, we've got an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and just rip our lives out from beneath us. That's what he wants to do. We've got to fight. The good fight of faith. Well... It's a fight, but not with fists, not with knives, not with guns, not with bombs, but with words. Faith is a fight with words. That's what the fight of faith is all about. Uh, how many of you know these individuals? Betty Price, Aretha Hagen, Dodie Osteen. Those three wives had something in common they're married to ministers that were successful that had huge ministries brother fred price is departed to be with the lord brother hagan is departed to be with the lord brother john osteen is departed to be with the lord but also those three women had cancer all three of them were attacked with cancer in their lives dodie osteen is still alive but in 1981, she was attacked with metastatic cancer of the liver, and the doctor said she has a few weeks to live. There's nothing we can do about her situation. If we even try to treat it, it wouldn't give her much time longer than that. I think it was up to six weeks that she had to live. I'm passionate about this right now because I believe this is what people need for themselves right now to hear, to overcome. So when she was told that, she knew for herself that it was a fight that she was going to be in for herself. As a matter of fact, when the doctor told Brother Osteen, Pastor, your wife has metastatic cancer of the liver and she can't live much longer, 
Pastor Osteen says, well, okay, but uh, we believe in miracles. The God of miracles, our God's a miracle worker. And the, and the doctor said to him, well, Pastor, you're going to need a miracle in this situation because she can't live much longer. That's how bad it was. Dodie said that she sought the Lord and the Lord said to her these words. This is not about Kenneth Hagin. It's not about Oral Roberts. And she knew them all. It's not about Kenneth Copeland. It's not about... Your husband, John Osteen, this is about you, your walk of faith with me. And she said, I knew I was in a fight for my life. Now imagine that, just a few weeks to live. Went home from the hospital. You can pick up her book if you like in our bookstore, Healed of Cancer by Dodie Osteen. And she got a network of scriptures together. And she took those scriptures to stand against or fight against cancer. Now, when we talk about, medically speaking, fight against cancer, we're not thinking about speaking the word. Medically speaking, it's chemotherapy and other means by which they try to attack or overcome cancer, correct? Nothing wrong with what uh, man tries to do to help mankind. But this is a spiritual fight that she knew that she was in, and she was going to take the word of God, because God's word is health, uh, medicine to all of our flesh, or health, it's health to us, medicine to all of our flesh. It's life to those that find it, health to all their flesh. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And so she said, she got a network of scriptures together. And also she did this. She got a picture of herself riding a horse when she was younger, in her younger days. She was 48 at the time. And then she said that um, she took that picture and a picture of herself in her wedding dress and put it up on her dresser so she could see what she looked like when she was healthy. At this point, she had lost a lot of weight. She looked very thin and jaundiced and she was dying. And that was a fact. Medically speaking, it's over. Get yourself prepared. Get your house in order because you're dying. But she said, I looked at those pictures every single day and I saw myself healthy. I looked at those pictures every single day and when my kids came over to my house and they tried to tell me, don't move that, we'll move it. She said, uh-uh, stop right there. Don't you look at me as being someone that can't do what I need to do. I'm doing what I need to do. The dress that she wore was so big on her now, it was just hanging. We'll buy you new clothes. Don't you dare buy me new clothes. I don't see myself like this. I see myself whole. I see myself well. And she took the word of God and she took that network of scriptures and she started speaking and declaring and proclaiming, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. He restores hell to me and heals me of every wound. Cancer cannot live in my body because I've declared it all my life that cancer will never, never, never take my life. And she declared this all her life. She didn't just start on this. All her life she declared that and she proclaimed that and said that it was true. And so now when she's facing the challenge of it, she said, no way. Was it difficult? Yes, any fight is difficult. Absolutely it was difficult. Long story short, she's now 87 years old. You can still see her on TV with her son Joel when he preaches in the front row. And she said, I have used this network, network of scriptures every single day of my life to thank God for my life and his faithfulness to his word. Amen. See, faith is a fight. And she fought the good fight. And guess what? She won. She won. So she would have been gone in 1981. That was 40 years ago. Well... I'm going to point out some fights, if that's okay with you. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. This is called the fight of Lucifer said and Elohim said. It's a prize fight. Lucifer said 
Elohim said. Elohim is the name for God in the beginning. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, created heaven and the earth. That's Elohim, God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Okay. How art thou fallen from heaven? Very key thing here. O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Look at these next words. For thou hast said. How did you fall? You said. And you said where? In your heart. How does faith work? From the heart and the mouth. You said in your heart. In other words, he understood the operation of faith. And he was going to use his faith to overthrow God. You said in your heart, I will. Everybody say, I will. That's exactly what he said. I will ascend into heaven. Look at the I wills. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Five times he said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. He had faith, but it was a self-based faith. His faith was in himself. His faith was in his own words. His faith was in his belief. He believed he could use faith to overthrow God. And guess what God said? Thou shalt be brought down to hell. Who won the fight? Some pretty bold words from Lucifer, wouldn't you say? What does God say? No. You be brought down to hell. He had a self-foundation. His faith was based on his will being done. This is what he wanted done. He declared it. And all those I wills made it abundantly clear that was his will. Well, look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. God won that fight with words, didn't he? Now, we understand that he's not there yet. He's going to be bound up for a thousand years. And then, of course, he'll be cast into the lake of fire forever. But we know God wins in the end, right? Now, here's another fight. This one is called Goliath said versus David said. It's a fight with words. And the Philistines said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, plural, Dagon being the primary god of Goliath, but the other gods, he just pronounced a curse on him. But look at the next verse. And the Philistine said, here's his words, it's a fight with words, to David, come to me and I will, who's that sound like? Lucifer? I will give thy flesh unto, he didn't say Dagon, he said I will. Give your flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field, a beast of the field, and he goes on to say, Then said David to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and with the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the field of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So let's break this down. First of all, he curses David by his false god, Dagon, and I guess others that are out there that could have helped. But in verse 44, when he says, I will, 
he shifts it over from Dagon to himself. He says, I will. This is something I will do. This reveals his faith was in himself and his own abilities and his power to overcome. And so he made that very clear. This is what I will. I will do it. And there's nothing you can do to stop me. Have you sometimes ever heard the voice of the enemy that's out there, no matter what the enemy might be, that I will take you down? You're not going to succeed. You'll never overcome. You have no power over me. Whether it's a sin, a sickness, a disease, or whatever it might be coming against us in this life, it has a voice, and that voice says things like that. Just like Goliath, just spewing out his words, I will, I will, I will destroy you. Well, in verse 45, let's, let's get that again. Put up verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and a shield. So in other words, David identified where his strength was, where his belief was. This was his own self-foundation. This was his own self-based faith. He based his faith on his strength, his ability, his, his uh, skill in fighting, and all that. Not even Dagon. I will do all this. I will destroy you. So David identified that. He saw that. He recognized that. But he puts a but in there. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. You know, uh, in Jeremiah, if you recall that verse that says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, if any man is going to boast, don't boast in your riches and your wisdom and in your strength. Boast that you know me. Make your boast in the fact that you know me. David was saying this to Goliath. You are trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your skill, your ability, your weaponry. You're trusting in all that to take me out, bring me down. But I'm telling you, I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That name in itself reveals to us that he is the captain of the host of the army of the living God. In other words, he is the God, the ruler over all the universe. That's whose name I'm coming against you. Now, notice he goes on to say, and he will. He will deliver you into my hands. Then I will cut off your head. But notice he said it's all based on he will. Not what I can do. But what he can do. You know, when we come against these things, it's important that we recognize the fact that it's not you and it's not me. It's not what we can do against the enemy. The words that we use are faith-filled words. And it's not a self-foundation, but it's a God foundation. Because we believe, like David believed, that the God we serve is on our side. And if God be for us, who could be against us? And there's no possible way that enemy can defeat us. Who can defeat us if God is on our side? That was the mentality that he had. We've got to see it the same way. Now, the enemy will want to trick us with guilt and condemnation, inferiority. Look, you're not good enough. You know, you've sinned yesterday. You did this. You said that. You should have done this and all that. He'll try to undermine our faith with guilt and condemnation. That's what the blood's for. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Get that under the blood and say, mm -mm, too late. And we'll see that in just a moment. But anyhow, David's faith was a God faith. It was based on the fact that he knew him as the Lord of hosts. And then look at verse 46 and 47 again. Here's what Goliath said, I will. But David said, no, God will. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine hand from thee, 
And I will give the carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the field or of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord says not with sword or spear, for the battle is whose? Not David's. It's the Lord's. And what are those next two words? He will. I like that, don't you? Is there any shadow of a doubt there in his words? No. He will give you into our hands. So what is it that we're coming up against or that's coming up against us? If all we do is look in the mirror and just say, I just no match for this. There's no way I can overcome this. And it's just too much for me to handle. Well, then who are we looking to for strength? Whose ability are we looking to? Ours. But you can have that same thought in your mind and just say, man, if I was just looking in that mirror, had to depend upon myself to overcome this situation, I'd be at a loss. But you know what? I'm not depending on myself. I'm not depending on my riches, my wisdom, my strength, my ability. For as I'm concerned, I am depending on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm depending upon the stripes that Jesus bore for me. I'm depending upon the power of God that raised up Jesus from the dead that quickens mortal bodies and gives us life and health. I'm depending on El Shaddai, the God of plenty, the one who's more than enough to see me through and help me overcome. My faith is not a self-faith. It is a God faith based on a God foundation, based on the word of God, based on a covenant of blood that said, praise God, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Can somebody say amen to that? All right. Well, our faith has got to be a blood-based faith in order for it to be a powerful faith to overcome. In the book of Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, and this is what David understood. He understood covenant. He knew that God said to him, I will not lie once I've sworn by an oath to my servant David. It's as sure as the moon. You could trust me and believe in me. Here. Let's read it first. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are, are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Now, I want you to just picture this. Can I have a little bit of latitude that I can maybe just share with you some things I was thinking about as I was meditating this thing? Thank you. Okay. I was thinking... This is a firstborn's nightmare, and this is a parent's dream. Hold that thought for a moment. You'll get it in a moment. Now, they just enjoyed a meal where they had the roasted lamb. And I can just picture this family sitting down together in their home, and there they are, and they caught the blood in a basin, and there it is at the, on the coffee table, and it's just sitting there. And they're just sitting in there. Maybe they have a love seat, whatever, I don't know, but maybe they're couch and they're just sitting there, mom and dad looking at the blood in the bowl. And there's uh, the elder son in a corner talking to his brother or sister. You know, they're getting older. You can only imagine what they're talking about or what they're thinking. Look at them staring at that bowl of blood. Can, can you imagine that? And so the one, the older one, gets a... Uh, Look out the window and he sees his neighbors and they got a hyssop branch and they're dipping it in the blood and they're smearing it all over the door frame of the house. And he's like, didn't they just paint their house last week? What, what are they? So he gets out his phone. And he starts texting. <laughs> he sends a text over to Johnny. 
Johnny lived down a little, little down the ways. What's going on at your house? Your parents, have they lost it? Didn't you just paint the house last week and they're messing it up? What's going on there? He gets the text back and says, well, didn't you hear? Hear what? Well, if you don't do this, put this blood on your door frame. The firstborn in the house dies. I'm the firstborn. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. He turns his attention to his mom and dad and says, what's going on? What are you two doing? What are you sitting looking at that bowl of blood for? Don't you know that if you don't apply that to the door frame of our house, I die? And dad says, yeah, remember last week how bad you were? Remember three weeks ago when you took the car when you weren't supposed to? And that night I caught you drinking? Well, Mom and Dad, we were just sitting here just discussing what we should do with this. <laughs> Give me a little attitude here. Now nah, we just want you to sweat for a while. <laughs> we want you to make a vow. He said, we got you, you know. If we didn't apply that blood, you know, forgive me. <laughs> you get the point. Look, it's not admiring the blood. It's not believing in the blood. It's not talking about the blood. It's not singing about the blood. It's applying the blood to the doorframe of the house that protected the life of the firstborn child, son, and livestock. Is that true? That's true, isn't it? So what happened if you didn't apply it? They died. Well, look in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11. You talk about fighting the good fight of faith. And they overcame him by admiring the blood, by talking about the blood, by even believing in the blood. No. By the blood of the Lamb and word of their testimony. And they loved not their life unto death. You know what that means? They applied the blood with the hyssop branch by dipping it in and... Messing up the frame of their house. We apply the blood of the Lamb by the word of our testimony. We declare it. We decree it. That blood was shed for my salvation. Therefore, Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. Devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' mighty name. You've got no part in me. And then we discover some other truths about the blood, because the blood speaks. We'll see that in a moment. But the fact is, I take the blood of the Lamb, which means everything Jesus purchased for me when He shed His blood upon Calvary's cross belongs to me. It's a covenant right that I have. It is a fact that He did that for me. It belongs to me. I learn it, and then I apply it. How do I apply it? With the word of my mouth. That's called faith. It is called a God foundation for faith. You see, we could say it because someone else told us to say it. But that's not a faith foundation based on God's word. 
It's just someone else told me to say it. It's I look to the word of God. I find out what Jesus did. I understand the purchase of his blood. I know what it provides for me. And I embrace that truth. And then I take it and I use my shield of faith to quench every fiery dart of the devil. So let's look at a few things here. Let's hear in the book of uh, Hebrews 12 and verse 24. Look at what it says. Uh, a solemn declaration is a testimony. It is my decreeing or declaring something that I embrace. It's my testimony. In a court of law, you're asked questions because you are an eyewitness and you give testimony, a solemn declaration of what you saw and what you believe to be true. Well, when he talks about the word of our testimony, it means I see it clearly in the word of God that the blood of Jesus was shed for me to have victory over sin, victory over sickness, victory over disease, victory over mental anguish, victory over whatever it might be. I see it. I believe it. I embrace it. Now I declare it and I decree it on my behalf. Hebrews 12, 24 says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You know, the blood speaks. The blood of Jesus speaks. It speaks volumes. That's why oftentimes when I talk about redemption, thank God for what Jesus did on the cross. Thank God for the shedding of his blood. But redemption is not complete until he takes that blood and applies it to the mercy seat and the heavenly utensils of worship and obtains eternal redemption for us. It takes us in through beyond the veil into the very high place of heaven where Adam sin stained all that and Jesus cleansed it with his precious blood. That's where it takes us into and we'll see that in a moment too. But our faith confession has got to be based on the things that the blood says is true in our lives. That's how we apply it to our lives. All right, so whatever it is that his blood brings to the table is what we believe, we embrace, and we declare to be true. I'll be honest with you. Thank God for whatever man has been doing about COVID-19, but I'm telling you something right now. It's time that we start as believers in the redemptive work of Christ, declaring and decreeing that the blood of Jesus Christ has made provision for us to overcome COVID-19. Thank God for what man can do. I'm not saying don't use what man can do. Praise God, but that's up to you to do what you want to do. But nothing is more important than saying, you know what? Yeah, we've got a, we've got an answer for COVID-19. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the stripes that he bore. It's the Holy Ghost who raised him from the dead, who gives us the victory over it. You know, because, you know, you hear a lot of things going on out there and not, some of it's not good. A am I correct in saying that? Some don't want to get shots. Okay, some want to get shots. Okay. I did a funeral recently of someone got a shot and died 14 hours later. Okay. So I don't tell anybody what to do. You'll do what you do, and that's fine. A lot of people got sick. I know people that got deathly sick by getting a shot. They weren't sick, then they got the shot. Got, and then some got, got the shot who weren't sick and got COVID afterwards, right after the shot. So I guess what am I saying? I guess it's not all, all, always a sure thing, is it? You're getting quiet on me. It's not always a sure thing, is it? And you know what happens when people put all their eggs in one basket? You know that expression. Well, there it is. That's what you trust in. Can't do that. We've got to believe God. God first. 
Amen? We have to believe God first. Believe God first. And you go from there. All right. In the book of uh, 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, if we want to overcome the devil and all that he throws our way, it takes the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Our testimony. I don't think you get called to a court of law and just, let's say that the lawyers come up and they talk to you and say, well, did you see anything happen? Uh Uh-uh. But my neighbor did. Did you hear anything? No, but my neighbor did. How far do you think you'll get in that interrogation there? That questioning there? Not very far. Well, well, let's get your neighbor in here. You see, it's not what someone else sees about the blood. It's what you see. It's what I see for myself. In 1 Peter 1, it tells us in verses 18 and 19, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Praise God. Say it with me. I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it's time to raise our banner and start making our declaration of faith and give testimony to the fact, a solemn declaration and decree, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm redeemed from COVID-19. I'm redeemed from COVID-19 symptoms by the blood of the Lamb. And I give word of it with my testimony. I call myself redeemed, healed, delivered, and set free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You're still not getting there yet. You got to get so excited about the fact that there is an answer, praise God. It is a truth, praise God. He really did this for us. It's up to us to embrace it and boldly proclaim it and declare it to be true. Look at the next one. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. There's something that we all deal with, this side of heaven. It's called sin. Anybody have any tangle, tangle with that? Any war with that? Okay. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Say with me, I am washed in the blood from all sin. Hallelujah. The blood speaks. We are free from the power of sin Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Someone says, I've been warned with this thing for a long time. Well, start making the declaration of your faith that says, this is your God foundation. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. That has no power over me. I'm delivered and set free. That has no power over me. I thank God whatever it was that was just hovering over my life and being empowered over my life. I declare it. I decree it. It has no power over me in the name of Jesus Because I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Look at what it says. Who has delivered us from the powers of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So what is He saying? You and I are no longer under the jurisdiction of the devil himself. We're under the jurisdiction of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And why is that true? Because He delivered us and redeemed us by his blood. I'm redeemed, you're redeemed, and that should be our declaration that Satan has no power over me. That kingdom has no power over me. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. 
this section of scripture is so important for us to really embrace. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Why is that verse so important? Because it took 4,000 years to accomplish that one verse you just read with me. Man had no access to the throne of grace. Man had no access to the throne of God. Man was banished. It wasn't until the law came out and the Levitical priesthood was set up and the high priest was able to go to that place once a year, not without blood, lest he die. It was showing us that there was access, but it was limited access and there had to be blood. And it tells us as long as that was still established, the first tabernacle was established, there was no way we could enter in without guilt. So finally, Jesus made his appearance there at the high court of heaven, shed his blood, offered his blood, and he opened up the door so that you and I could enter into the holiest place of all by the blood of Jesus Christ. And whatever it is that we need from the Father, just ask him. So the way has been opened, how? By the blood of the Lamb. We need to make that our declaration. I have access to the throne by the blood of Jesus Christ. I can go in there and receive what I need from God. Okay, look at the next one. Philippians chapter 2, and this is really, really something important for us to hear. Verses 9 and 10. Wherefore God has highly exalted him, given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, things are beings in heaven, things are beings on the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. I pointed this out because there's always been, for some reason over the years, this idea of what it means to plead the blood. Here it is, right here. It's all wrapped up in the name of Jesus. When you say in the name of Jesus, you activate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and all that it's purchased for us. So it's connected together. In the name of Jesus, I cast out the devil. It's the work of the blood of Christ to make that possible that's activated. And so when we take authority over something in the name of Jesus Christ, it is applying the blood to that situation but we're doing it through his name. He said, whatever you demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so we're activating the power of God through that name as we use it in our daily walk, whatever it is that we're standing against. So every knee bows, every tongue confesses. And we need to see it this way. COVID-19 has got to bow. It's got to bow to the name of Jesus. It has to bow. Cancer has to bow to the name of Jesus. That's what Dodie Osteen did. She made a declaration of her faith and just said, you can't. You can't have me because of what is mine, what belongs to me because of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the problem. Too often, we want to get things different ways. And trust me, I believe in every way that we can receive from God. But every other way out there to receive from God brings us to this place right here. That Listen to this. As he told her, this is not about Kenneth Hagin who's been to heaven many times and saw the Lord and told him all kinds of things and had a gift of healing also. It's not him coming over your house and laying hands on you. It's not you going to a, even your own husband's meetings. It's not going to a Kenneth Copeland crusade, Southwest Believers Convention. She had access to all these individuals or Roberts University. Close friends. Close friends. Now you would think with all those names out there, Wow, there's an advantage. And Jesus said to her, uh -uh, this is your fight. This is your fight. You declare your faith. You proclaim. Let it be the word of your testimony. And they say what? The proof of the pudding is in the eating? Well, she's been eating for 40 years. 
And she's alive today. Not because she went to a meeting somewhere, but because she used the word of her testimony. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we need to say it a million times so it becomes reality. Galatians 3.13 and then uh, 1 John. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone hangs on the tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles that we might receive the, through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that telling us? On that tree where he shed his blood, he redeemed us to God from the curse of the law he delivered us. See, I've got to embrace that truth. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, which includes every sickness and disease, known, unknown, name, unnamed, written, unwritten, I've been redeemed from. And I've got to make my declaration, and there's, three, there's a witness to it. Look at 1 John chapter 5, and we'll close it here. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and what else? The blood. The blood of Jesus. Thank God. How do we overcome on this side of heaven? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. How do we apply the blood to our lives? Not with the hyssop branch, but with our declaration of faith, with our words. What are we saying? What are we saying about our lives? What are we saying about our health? What are we saying about our condition? What are we saying about our finances? And the list goes on and on. And so God wants us to rise up to higher places in him where we embrace the truth that the blood that was shed was shed for our freedom and deliverance. And it's time for us to take hold of what belongs to us by faith and overcome. Let's all stand together before the Lord.